listeners, and welcome to Gavin Grow, a podcast for students and others at Western Connecticut State University. We talk about resources, people, places, and concepts that we hope are going to help you be a more successful student. So today's subject is a really deep topic for us. It's actually a set of topics, and we're going to talk um, about something, and we need some help kind of unpacking those things. So fortunately, we have with us a guest who I think is really going to be able to help us do that. And I'd like you to welcome to the show with me the Chief Diversity Officer and Associate Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, Dr. Lorna Hernandez-Jarvis. Hi, Lorna. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction, and I'm very happy to be here and share my expertise and knowledge with all of you. Fabulous. Well, we're really excited, and, and since I had such a wordy um intro, I want to just, you know, jump right in right now. Um, sure. One of the key reasons that, that I really wanted us to talk about this this issue of diversity and inclusion and identity is that as humans, we need to feel like we belong somewhere, right? So That's right. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about sure. that? Sure. I think that's the issue of, of belonging is, is a topic that is really important, especially in higher education and in universities. Uh, let me start by letting you know about some research by uh, Dr. Lieberman, who is the author of the book, The Social Brain, an excellent book. I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. But uh, he points out that the human need to belong and connect with others is even more fundamental than our need for food or shelter. Wow. So this sense of, of, of developing um, connectedness with others, belonging, is really, really important to us as humans. Um, a feeling of belonging is really a brain requirement for survival, mm -hmm. and we need this sense of belonging to operate at our best. So particularly in institutions of higher education, then having a sense of belonging becomes really important. Um, again, a, there's a set of research studies by different social psychologists that uh, indicate that developing a sense of belonging in higher education uh, it's just critical for students mm -hmm. to persist in their education and, of course, to graduate. Right. So this is really important. Yeah, and uh, we talk about that all the time when we're doing our training with our staff and things that, that, you know, that sense of becoming part of a community is really important in what they they do at the start of the year, um, not just on their floors and things, but it, it's also important for commuter students and and, and all right. of our students coming to campus. So, you know, you sent Absolutely. me something uh, as we were trying to prepare for the show about the neurocognition of inclusion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought there were some great things in that about our discomfort with difference and in the ability to build connections with others who aren't like us. And I wondered if you could talk about that for a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, Again, I'm going to recommend a couple of other readings, but yep. there's a very good book, a book title, uh, The Neurocognition of Inclusion by Mary Casey and Shannon Murphy Robinson that basically reviews a lot of the research in this area. Uh, highly recommend it. But basically they argue that uh, left to its own devices, the brain's preference for comfort over discomfort will prevail. So yep. we don't do anything, you know, our brain just kicks in uh, to react when we feel discomfort. Mm -hmm. And then that means if we just let it happen, then we miss the opportunity for evolving a more inclusive brain. 
So to succeed in our increasingly diverse workplaces, you know, individuals really need to know how to override the brain's discomfort with differences. Right. So we need to work to discover what connects us with others in particularly. And in order to do this, we need to learn how to challenge our biases and assumptions that we make. And when it comes to biases, the question is not whether we have them, because the truth is we all do. Mm -hmm. At least that's what the research indicates. But the question is not whether we have biases, but which ones are ours. Okay. Becoming, you know, thinking about those, and if any of you or if you can uh, let people know about the Howard University Implicit Association Test, that is a great place to test your own assumptions and biases that you have to figure out which ones are yours. But we should pay attention to building connections and trust with others who don't share our culture, language, age, gender, race, etc., mm-hmm. uh, life experiences. So what these authors are saying is that we need to train our brain to tell the differences between what I call a threat and a challenge. A lot of times when we feel discomfort, we see it as a threat. And what they're suggesting or what the research is suggesting is that Discomfort is not a threat. It's actually a challenge, and we need to be changing our attitude towards that. A challenge you can address. You can learn how to to deal with it, how to face it. A threat is a different thing, right? Right. So discomfort is really about challenging. So experiencing that discomfort, uh, it's okay. We just need to know how to face it. We need to understand what the challenge is, and in order to overcome our natural brain's reactions to avoiding that discomfort. It's really interesting because we actually just had a discussion about this with some of my colleagues in our office because we get students come in frequently saying that they feel threatened in, with, by a roommate or something. And it's really just that they're not comfortable with that person. Absolutely. And so we're looking for ways to really address that and, uh, you know, help them work through the fact that, you know, somebody may not may not be someone you're comfortable with, but that doesn't mean they're, that you're being threatened. You know? Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I tell people at our university as well is, you know, when you think about encountering those differences, instead of using the golden rule that we all probably learned as, as children, that right. you should treat others as you would like to be treated, mm-hmm. here we try to, uh, to emphasize what we call the platinum rule, which is treat others like they would like to be treated. So in order to treat them the way they like to be treated, you need to get to know them, right, to accept those differences. And I think, you know, that kind of leads on to getting to know who who you're living with or who you're interacting with. And and so, you know, we we talk about this idea of social identity, I think, and, and that's how people see themselves. So can you talk to us a little about that? Sure, sure. So in order for everyone to develop a sense of belonging, we need to acknowledge, of course, as you were just describing, the role of social identities. So we each bring uh, social identities to every interaction we have with other human beings. So, for example, when I interact with others, any or all of my social identities might be at play. So I'm a Latina. I'm Mm -hmm. a Mexican-American woman. I'm a middle-aged person, although some people may start it put me into the senior category. (laughs) So uh, I'm an immigrant. I'm a psychologist. I'm a university senior administrator. I'm heterosexual. I'm a mother, a sister, a professor. You know, you can go on and on. A cancer survivor. You know, all those kinds of things. So we need to develop, first of all, a sense of who we are 
so that we can then explore the identities of others. So ha- trying to figure out who are you and what identities you bring to any situation is the first step. And then if you have spent some time thinking about that, then it's easier to be kind and, and begin to explore those identities that others bring to the interaction and then begin to see what the impact it is in mm-hmm. how we connect with each other, right, if we understand all the different social identities that may be at play in any situation. Right. And you just talked about um, about getting to know your own identities. Do you have some thoughts about how, how particularly students who are young and they're really discovering right. some of those things, how does that happen mm-hmm. for them? Yeah. I mean, there's a variety of ways. One, some of it is just you know, spending the time to do self-reflection. What mm-hmm. what are the things that are important to me? And even not just what's important to me, but questioning, like, what did I learn about that identity? So, for example, if I think about being a woman, right, uh, it'd be important to just question, okay, what does that mean for me? And what did I learn what a woman is? Mm-hmm. Did I learn it from family, from peers? And not just that, but what does it mean to be a good woman? or right. a bad woman, and where am I getting those messages, and do I agree with those messages? Why do I agree? So that deeper self-reflection okay. doesn't always happen. We just say, well, right. you know, I'm a psychologist. <laughs> what does that mean to be a psychologist? Right. So spending the time to do that, uh, of course, reading materials, talking to people, ta- talking to mentors, um, with peers as well to mm-hmm. begin to discover what that means. I think those are the the, the, the first steps to do, just a lot of sort of reflection and thinking about it. And then engaging in conversations with others about how do others see that same identity that right. you have, because there may not be the same interpretation. You know, and that's, for me, that's kind of where things get interesting, too, because, you know, some identities with people you see just by looking at them. You look at me, you know, I'm a, a middle-aged white woman like you. It's hard. Right. It's hard to hide right. those kinds of things. But. <laughs> yeah. But there's so much more to what our identities are than what you see on the surface of somebody. So, you know, one of the ways to really get at that and get to know people for who they see themselves as is to have conversation and communication, right? So, Absolutely. You know, when we talked about doing the episode, I think for both of us that was something that, that seemed really important is working to develop our skills in communicating so that we can be better about presenting to others who we are, but also being able to listen better. And I wondered Absolutely. if you would talk about that for a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I um, think that the role of communication skills to explore each other's identities, narratives, and experiences is critical. Often uh, we think we know how to talk and how to have conversations about difficult topics. Mm-hmm. You know, as an example, even professors do this, right? Oh, I have a great reading for this class. We set the rules for how we're going to discuss things. Uh, let's go, you know, ready, yeah. set, go. <laughs> let's talk <laughs> about this issue. But we don't have the skills. And then things kind of go not so good. And <laughs> there's emotions that get elevated right. and all those kinds of things. Because we haven't spent the time to create the baseline of, of basic skills that we need to have and to know how to engage each other in, in courageous and difficult conversations. So thinking about and developing those skills becomes really important. So, for example, I, I usually talk about 
five basic communication skills. Uh, the first one is, of course, learning how to speak concisely. And by the way, all of these communication skills, after all my years of experience, I'm still working on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a long, yeah. long journey to, to develop those and to keep working on those. But speaking concisely, so a lot of the times, you know, we like to, I, I'm bad about this, but <laughs> I like to give a lot of context about the point that I'm going to try to make and kind of set the tone, and, mm -hmm. and then I make my point. <laughs> By the time you set it up and you gave the context, you lost your audience. Yes. So the more direct, think carefully and, and clear, clearly about what it is that you're going to try to say, and try to be concise. What is your point? What is the key message that you're trying to present to somebody? And keeping it simple, right? Don't try to give them five points in one, yeah. <laughs> which we all try to do as well. And another what thing, What is your yes. main point, right? What is your point? What, and there will be time in the conversation to bring the other points. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But what's your point at this moment? So learning how to speak concisely and present who you are, the point that you're trying to make, sharing your experience, and always speaking from your own experience. Yeah. Don't try to speak for others or about others. So things like the I statements that we all know about are right. very, very impor important in terms of developing communication skills, over from your own experience, directly and concisely. Then, of course, uh, listening mindfully. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a beautiful... Um, symbol in the Chinese language for listening. Mm -hmm. And what I like is I call it listening with ting because um, what it is, it shows you within that same symbol that to listen is not just to hear something with your ears, but it's about listening with your mind. It's about listening with your eyes. So what else is happening with that person uh, and how they're expressing what they're saying? Right. The nonverbal uh, kinds of things that are happening as part of that. Um, their emotions that are being expressed, right, through yep. what they're saying. So it's about listening with your heart, with your ears, with your eyes, with your whole presence. So that, that's a very different kind of listening. And also that we listen to understand. Yes. <laughs> Because most of us are always in that situation that we're listening just to know how to do a rebuttal for, to what was presented to us. <laughs> or we listen, but we're already thinking at the same time we're listening, we're trying to think about what we're going to say and how we're going to present our point. Right. Right. Instead of just being truly there, present with the person, and truly just sit to understand their story. So listen not to argue or debate, but or to persuade, which is often what we do. Yeah. We try to listen so that we can persuade them or something else. No, it's, it's a different frame of, of mind in terms of listening, listening just truly to understand the person. And that's a so really... Those are two skills. Yeah. Then the third one that I have is asking essential questions. And again, the purpose is understanding, not persuasion, not debating, but understanding. So as you listen to to the people that you're engaged with in communication, what are the kinds of questions that you can ask that will help you deepen your understanding of that person's narrative, that person's idea, that person's experience? You know, I tell my students um, that think about this as an essential question. If somebody asks you to write down a question that you will ask a partner that will help you decide whether you want that person to share your life with. Mm -hmm. 
what would that question be? That's an essential question, right? What would the kind <laughs> of question that That's would, a hard question, too. <laughs> it's a hard question, absolutely. Right? And that's exactly what my students find. I actually have them do that exercise, and then once they write the question, I say, okay, now turn to somebody next to you and ask them the question. See what, what it feels like to yeah. get an answer and if that's what you were looking for. <laughs> and often they find, oh, no, my question wasn't very good. It didn't give me what I needed to make that decision, right? Yep. But you get the idea that right. can we think about questions that really help us deepen our understanding of that person, of that experience? Um, and then, of course, the, the fourth uh, skill in communications that uh, is recognizing our own and mm-hmm. others' feelings and emotions. We tend to, especially in academia, to think about discussions and conversations as uh, being rational and being, <laughs> right, being yeah. uh, academic and all of that. But the truth is that we are emotional beings. Right. And all of the ideas that we have are attached to emotions. So if we don't learn how to also address, first of all, recognize our emotions, Mm-hmm. And then to be able to express them and talk about them as part of what's happening, uh, that often leads to a lot more conflict. So very important skills. And, you know, we often don't have a lot of vocabulary um, to talk about emotions. So that's another right. skill. Can I learn the vocabulary? Can I learn to recognize it and then be able to express it? Again, it's a discomfort. You're more comfortable talking about your emotions when an idea is presented. That another skill. And the final skill is learning how to validate others even when we disagree. And that's a really tough one, too. Right? Um, so if I have an Nazi telling me about white supremacy yeah. and being really strong about it, is there a way that I can validate that person even though I'm not validating their ideas? Mm. How do I address that? Yeah. Right? And there are ways. So, for example, you can validate the person by truly listening to their point. Mm-hmm. And listening is not agreeing with them. And you can then present your questions or your concerns about what they said. But being truly mindful of the listening, that is validating. Says whatever voice you presented, I may disagree, but I'm giving you the respect to hear your point. Right. Right. So there's nonverbal kinds of things that you, mm-hmm. you can do to validate. And you can even say, you know, sometimes people get really passionate about something. A way to validate might say, wow, I can see how important this is for you because clearly you're very passionate about it. That's a validation for yep. that person. You're letting them know that you're aware, you're recognizing things. And then you can move on. Now, I have these questions because in my experience, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And then you engage in the conversation. Right. So, again, developing those skills to know how to see the humanity mm-hmm. in the other person, even in the midst of the most deepest disagreement. Right. Those are tough skills, but are important skills. And precisely because they're tough, we don't tend to work on them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we need to develop them in order to engage in those courageous and difficult conversations. Yeah. So, I, those I, are just kind of basic skills. Yeah, and I think they're great. You know, we did a... a podcast a couple of weeks ago about learning how to talk to your roommate. And, and these kinds of skills are perfect for what you want because, you know, it's people getting to know each other and being able to talk. And often they don't have a discussion because 
they're afraid of it being conflict. And, and one of the things we're saying right. is it's not conflict, it's conversation. And if people don't know how you're feeling, they can't respond to it, you know. So I, I think they're great, great hints about just how to go about having a good conversation. You know, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, intercultural knowledge, I guess. And, and so you talk a little bit about intercultural intelligence, um, and a lot of people have called that competency, but right. I don't know that that quite hits right, right? So mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, again, you know, developing a sense of belonging, learning to communicate across difference, learning about identities, it all takes what I call intercultural humility, and that's the term that I, I, I prefer. Again, most people, as you mentioned, most people working on the diversity, equity, and inclusion areas or organizations, they tend to focus on this idea of developing intercultural competency. And when they talk about competency, at least for me, it implies that you work towards achieving kind of a certain standard, and once you reach it, you have mastered it, (laughs) now you're competent, you check the box. Yes. Right? And the truth is, as, as I was just describing, you know, these skills and this kinds of work, it, it's really hard. And we keep evolving. Culture keeps evolving. It's not stationary. So we need, this is a lifelong journey. So it's not about just, oh, yeah, I mastered this. I got it. Right. It's, you know, when we really talking about identities, cultural worldviews, experiences, personal narratives, it's all constantly changing. So it's about how do we approach uh, these these issues uh, with a sense of humility, knowing that, yes, we're constantly trying to do better, learn more, but we're not going to master it. We're not going to have that perfect score, and we can't check the box. (laughs) That's the reality. Yeah, and I think that's... But that's why I like... And and the idea also, another term that is used is intercultural intelligence, and that fits with Gardner's work and other people about the multiple intelligences. Mm -hmm. So this is one more kind of intelligence that you can develop. And again, intelligence is something that, you know, you keep working at it. That's the key point. And I think that's one of the reasons why why simple art of conversation is so difficult sometimes is because we always think we have to, you know, get to an end goal kind of thing and and that it's very hard when it's somebody who we perceive of as different um, to know how to start that conversation or to be thinking, you know, it's got to end some way. And so, you know, it's that conversation is difficult. And I'm wondering if you could could talk about, you know, what are some of the what are some of the reasons it's difficult and then what can we do about it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Again, one third recommendation of another excellent book is called Difficult Conversations by Douglas Stone. And often these difficult conversations happen because all of us tend to focus on one aspect of the conversation, and it's what uh, Stone and and colleagues called the what happened conversation. Mm. So when there's something difficult, we tend to focus on, oh, you said this and I said this and... (laughs) Uh, you don't understand this, and et cetera, right? Right. So the focus is on what just happened. But in reality, there are at least three simultaneous conversations going on in any kind of difficult or courageous uh, conversation. The, clearly, the what happened conversation right. is one of them. That involves, of course, the perceptions that each person has of the situation, mm-hmm. right? So that's one. The second uh, 
simultaneous conversation that is kind of a different layer is the feelings conversation. And I was just mentioning about the importance of emotions. But when you're engaged in a difficult conversation, each person in that situation is feeling something. It's having some emotions, right? right. And it's often it's like, well, you know, you said this and made me feel this way, and you didn't even acknowledge or you didn't even know that you made me feel this yeah. way. Or if you did, you didn't care, right? Mm-hmm. But we're not verbalizing that. We're not engaging that. We're just right. concentrating on that. What happened? Yep. And now recognizing those emotions. Um, and then, of course, that means that we're using cognitive and emotional energy that then limits our ability to engage constructively. Mm in truly understanding the depth of the conversation or what the issues are or how to come to, uh, if not a resolution, at least a, a different depth of understanding right. of our different experiences. So that's another. And then the third kind of um, conversation that goes on is what I call the identity conversation. And that is, again, what we've been talking about, that mm-hmm. we all bring our identities to those conversations. So when there's difficulty, often what happens is that some aspect of our identity is being threatened Mm. or challenged, if not threatened. Right. And that makes us really uncomfortable. And we don't know. And often we don't recognize that. We don't like to recognize that we feel challenged or or threatened in one way or another. And uh, Stone and colleagues talk about uh, three very common threats to our identities. And they say most difficult conversations – one of these three identities or possibly two or three of them are being threatened or perceived mm. as being threatened. And the first one is that you some, somehow my competency is being questioned. Yep. Right? Uh, the second one is somehow my ability to be liked or loved is questioned. You say mm. that somehow I'm not worthy of love or lovable or likable. And then the third uh, threat is that you or the conversation or the person you're talking to is suggesting or indicating that somehow I'm not a moral person. Mm-hmm. So you're questioning my ethics, my morality. Right. And those are very strong, very important aspects of people, right? Am I lovable? Am I a moral person? Am I competent? So if you've so, got all those challenges going on, how do you have a decent conversation, conversation with someone? <laughs> absolutely. I think... It, the first step is when that happens is to first of all recognize that in any difficult conversation, there's mutual contribution to the problem. Yeah. And that's often something difficult for us to recognize. It's never that I created the conflict or that it's somebody else's, right? Oh, yeah. We're in conflict because that person said this and it's either illogical or irrational or whatever. So, but the truth is how you respond to that situation is contributing to the problem. Yeah. So start by recognizing that in any situation, there is mutual contribution. It may be that yours is just 1% and the other person is 99, but <laughs> you are contributing. Right, right. Right. And that's the first acknowledgement. So in any difficult conversation, when all these conversations are going on, okay, what is my contribution? And my contribution might be that I didn't realize that I was feeling threatened in my identity. Mm. So I need to go there. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm feeling threatened, why can I verbalize this and how can I say it? So that's, that's one of the, the approaches that right. definitely, can, and then you can start unpacking the difficult issues in the conversation. 
you know, other there's other uh, good strategies too. For example, using Rosenberg's uh, nonviolent communication mm-hmm. as a strategy is another really good way. Which, when things are just getting out of hand, is to say, okay, you know, this is what I observe we are in. So the what happened conversation, right? This is what I think. I, I from my perspective, this is where we are. This is the observation, mm-hmm. and then you can talk about. Because we're in this situation, this is how I'm feeling. So now you bring in the feelings part, mm. the emotions part. You know, this situation is making me feel anxious, is making me feel uh, uncomfortable, is making me, because it has this impacted me in this way. Right. right? Again, I statements, your experience, speaking from, uh, from your own narrative. And then after you say, this is, you know, what I see, this is how it makes me feel, and then you can say for me to move forward or move from where we are mm-hmm. back in this conversation, I need this. And you can clearly and succinctly say, this is what I need. Now, you have to recognize that the other persons in the conversation may or may not be able right. to provide what you need, but it's important to put it out there, mm-hmm. right? This is what I need. And then you can even make a request. Okay. If this is what I need. This is my request to you or to whoever is as part of that conversation. And then that often tends to move away from where people were stuck in that conversation um, and hopefully begin to unpack what is going on. So there's lots of strategies that Mm -hmm. can be used to move us. But the recognition of what identity or aspect of my identity is being threatened, what emotions am I feeling, and to recognize that the others are also feeling threatened. Right. And that they're also feeling emotions. Yeah, I think that's a, a missing link sometimes. So, um, Absolutely. You know, I, I knew we were going to, you know, start to run long on this. And yeah. so <laughs> we do need to wrap it up, unfortunately, because I think we could talk about this for hours at a time. But um, any any kind of quick tips or things that, that yeah. students can put to use and put to work in trying to, you know, engage and and be involved in this kind of exploration of who we are and building our communities i think i I gave quite a number of kind of quick tips but but uh just being curious with humility checking our assumptions and judgments and and to approach the other and approach differences as a challenge in in that sense of uh curiosity with humility really learning for the other and recognizing that they also have emotions and that they also have identities and we need to kind of try to understand our experiences. Fabulous. Well, Lorna, I really want to thank you for a being willing to do this and, and finding the time to do it with us. I, I really think that the, the ideas that we're talking about here are so important to people. And I'm so glad to have had the chance to really, uh, talk to you about it and I think you've given us a really good foundation and some great resources of things to look for so thank you so much for being part of this and it was fun good (laughs) I hope people find it helpful I hope so too Um, if you are listening and there are any questions that you thought we might cover that we didn't or that you have based on what you heard on the show um, you can always reach out to me at griffinm at wcsu.edu and I'll do my best to find answers for you 
Um, I am your host, Mary Beth Griffin, and I hope that you'll join us again at Gab and Grow. Uh, There's lots more that we're going to be covering this year, so please tune us in again. Bye now.